You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along to the programme, emails that have been coming into the programme as well, you can email corktoday at c103.ie. Anything you want to share with us this morning, we'd love to hear from you. And I have to say, I was listening to early morning news uh, this morning. I'm quite an early riser. And you know when you hear a story that just made my blood boil? Well, it was one of those days. And the story that got me cross this morning was to do with one of the teenagers that was involved in the attack and the robbery on the English tourists in Dublin's Temple Bar. Um, in the couple of weeks ago, there was a group over, they were over for some soccer match and three of the uh, young men in their early 20s were set upon by these groups of thugs. Uh, there's stronger words you could use, but you wouldn't be allowed to use them on the radio. And we've seen some of them go before the courts. Well, it's making the papers today that one of the boys, he's a, a 16 uh, year old, he ended up having to have his bail revoked yesterday and has now been remanded in custody. And I remember when I spoke about the fact that he was let out on bail last week, we had a number of people saying, why has he been let out on bail? Particularly when you look at the seriousness of this particular crime. Well, he was back before the courts yesterday uh, because he ended up, he went back to the same area of Dublin on Sunday afternoon. He ended up knocking over an elderly woman. He also injured, injured a Garda inspector And what he was trying to do, he was trying to evade officers who knew they spotted him and they knew that he'd been banned from that particular part of uh, the city. Now, the accused, because he's 16, can't be identified because, of course, he's deemed uh, a minor. He had been charged, I'm sure it was last Friday he was charged uh, with the assault causing harm to two of the men and he was also charged with robbery of the third um, English uh, tourist and it was on the night of the 11th of August. Now the judge released him last week with a warning and a specific condition that he was to remain out of the entire Dublin 2 part of the city and when he was before the courts, of course, in order to get bail, he absolutely agreed Yes, Your Honour, I won't go near Temple Bar. I won't go near uh, Dublin uh, to uh, the boy who's from North Dublin. He'd, he'd not only been ordered to stay out of that part of the city, he'd been also ordered to obey a curfew. I think he wasn't allowed out between 9pm at night and 8am in the morning. He also wasn't to contact uh, any of the Temple Bar business premises staff because they, the courts had heard that some of the Gardaí reported to the courts that some of the Temple Bar businesses had been threatened because they were the ones whose CCTV were being used to convict this gang of um, thugs. So the teenager's case manager, who's a guard, the sergeant, Tom Murphy, he was before the courts because obviously he was called in to give an update on the boy's compliance with the bail conditions from last week. And he said that the teenager had broke his uh, curfew. So he had been seen out between 9pm and 8am in the morning. But then he was also spotted in Temple Bar. Now he went to Temple Bar in disguise and he was there when there was a lot of tourists in Temple Bar. He was mingling between all of the fans who were over from the States from the from the, the Notre Dame remember the America football game that went on um, at the weekend the guard alleged the boy ran when he realised some members of Angarda Shiakona had spotted him and realised the disguise wasn't working so he knew he was going to get 
cot. So he decided to leg it. And in the process of running away, he knocked over a poor old elderly lady who happened to just be in town, probably doing a bit of shopping. Then he ran into a Garda inspector who ended up suffering a dislocated shoulder. And that Garda inspector, they're saying, is going to be off work for at least uh, six weeks. Uh, The defence accepted that he had been in Temple Bar. But wait for this. His solicitor in court said, I'm sorry now, Your Honour, the reason that he was in Temple Bar, he was actually taking a shortcut to the uh, gym. But very quickly, the other guardian court were, were able to say there was another route he could have taken. He didn't have to take that shortcut through uh, Temple Bar. His solicitor uh, pleaded for the teenager who was accompanied in court, court by his father to, to give him a last chance saloon. And he was promising he'd adhere to the uh, order. But I'm glad to see that Judge Mitchell revoked the bail immediately, remanded the teenager in custody and now he's gone off to Oberstown uh, Children's Detention Campus pending his next hearing on Friday. And of course, he'll meet up with the other guy who also broke his bail, the guy who had been in court the previous Monday week with his mother and he wailed and he sobbed his whole way through the court proceeding and he was let out on bail and promised that he would uh, adhere to all of the conditions. That was on the Monday and on the Thursday he was arrested for accosting a young teenage boy and robbing his runners and his expensive earphones. So he was back before the courts and he had his bail revoked. He was sent to Oberstown uh, Children's uh, Detention Centre. And bearing in mind at the bail here of this 16-year-old, the guy who was back in court yesterday, they had the the evidence that they had, they had excellent quality evidence which had been caught on CCTV. The court heard claims that one of the tourists was pulled and dragged down before being kicked on the ground by this 16-year-old while another person went through his pockets and took his property. Then a second man received a punch in the face before also being knocked to the ground where he was allegedly punched numerous times and kicked in the head. That guy ended up suffering actually very bad swelling and bruising around his eye. And then there was a third victim who received a punch in the face, was knocked to the ground where his head was, wait for this, stamped on. While he appeared to be unconscious, he ended up with a very large gash at the back of his head. I mean, any of those kicks to the head is, its I can't just get my head around how anyone would draw their foot back and launch a kick into somebody's head. And to do it to somebody that you don't even know, you know, even if you were had a deep hatred for somebody, could you see yourself uh, doing it? It was a nasty, nasty, vicious attack. And to me, those guys, when they come before the courts, particularly when there is excellent quality CCTV, that there isn't any dispute that the person in the footage that's been seen by the Gardaí is the person that's before the courts, I think they should simply not be allowed back out on bail because we're seeing countless times they're back out on bail uh, and then they don't give a toss. They don't give a damn. They know they're underage. They know they're only going to get a smack on the back of the wrist and they just go off about their their uh, merry ways. And it is really tough on, on Garda Siakona. And I know we're constantly hearing, I saw only yesterday actually the the American tourist uh, Stephen um, uh, uh, 
Timonese, is that his name, who's becoming like a local celebrity in Dublin. Bless his heart, he stayed on to have the rest of his holiday and he's going around Dublin and everybody's stopping him and shaking his hand and wishing him well. And he ended up having a chat with the Justice uh, Minister and he he was saying that they need more Gardaí on the beach, particularly in that area of Temple Bar and around uh, the city centre. But then I heard Barry on our news uh, this morning talking about a survey. Now, this is a survey that was conducted by, um, about the Gar, I think it's done by the Gardaí, it is by the Gardaí. It's a kind of a, it's a Garda public attitude survey. Now, this was survey was taken, this was the results from last year, from 2022. But it does, you know, show that people are, like 75% are satisfied with the service provided by the Gardaí. 90% of people trust on Garda Siakana. 90% agree you're treated with uh, respect. And on Garda Siakana remains at that high level. 75% of people saying that they're happy with on Garda Siakana and the services that are being provided to their local communities with um, 63% of people having no fears or very few fears about crime. I suppose it depends as well on what part of the country that you're living in. I don't know whether you would get such high figures from people in and around the centre of Dublin City. 0818 103 103. But what do we do with these young, out of control teenagers? I mean, they're just... Thugs. They literally are thugs. I mean, they turn up in the courts with parents. So there is, there are parents there. Uh, but, you know, you just, you, you, you know, people will often say the parents should be responsible. And if they're turning up in court, they must have some kind of a relationship with these uh, young thugs. But like, what's the answer? I mean, do we simply lock them up and throw away the key? Do we have enough spaces uh, to lock them all up? Are, are, on you, are, are you on the side of, you know, we have, you have to give them a chance. You have to hope that they'll see sense and that they'll stop doing what they're doing. And if that they're giving, given a bit of a break, that maybe they will move away from their life of crime. But certainly I'm just getting tired of hearing about and reading about young people who go before the courts for very, very vicious assaults and attacks being given bail and then before you know it they're back before the courts again. Your thoughts welcomed. Some of your thoughts on that young 16 year old uh, back before the courts for breaching his bail. Somebody said them thugs should be made black and blue and um, there's a number of people actually advocating for corporal punishment but I don't know if that is the answer or not. Somebody said it's time that those thugs are named and shamed. It's time to forget about oh they can't be named because they are minors. They have no respect for anyone and uh, Jimmy in Bantry says Patricia about that young he's called him a scumbag in Dublin why not give him and his ilk a lethal injection I'd be more than happy to administer it all says Jimmy and Benjamin. I don't know if it's the death penalty if we want to go down uh, that route but a lot of people are saying they need to be uh, locked up it's disgraceful what they are doing and it's innocent bystanders are the ones like, yeah, I'm thinking about that old lady. See, obviously he legged it. He was in the middle of the crowd, realised that the guardie had clocked him and that his whatever disguise he was wearing wasn't working. Uh, and yet, why was he in disguise if he was meant to be going to the gym? I would be asking before the courts. But anyway, um, and then obviously rushed away and didn't give a damn about who he was knocking over. And there happened to be an elderly lady in the way. And I mean, she, you knock over an elderly person like that, you could break a hip or anything and she, that she may never uh, recover from really just and no care at all for who he was going to injure he just wanted to get away 0818 103 103 your thoughts and comments welcomed take a listen to this and uh, tell me how would you feel if this was going on outside your window
Yeah, that is a, a Kango hammer that was going uh, late last night and we've had uh, a listener who's contacted us, wants to remain anonymous, that's uh, fine. Living in the Bridge Street area of Mallow says, I'm emailing and sending on the audio footage to complain about the Kango hammer that was going on in Mallowtown last night. The drilling lasted until 1am in the morning. This is very unfair considering we, we are paying €1,500 a month for rent and we got no pre-warning about this roadworks and Kango hammering that was going to go on. There has to be some solution to this and I know Bridge Street was closed off uh, last night uh, because um, my husband coming back from the gym got caught got caught up in it and there was tailbacks all over the place and a lot of this work of course is going on to get it done before all of the the children go back to uh, school so they have to do work at night. I would have thought that they would have informed people living in the uh, area but if you're a light sleeper you're not going to sleep through that are you? Not a hope that you'd be able to sleep through that. Anyway listen we've emailed the council and we are awaiting their response. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Can you talk to me? Cork today on C103. The Irish Farmers Organisation said a tweet from the Environment Protection Agency has caused huge rage amongst farmers. The social media post urged the public to reduce its consumption of red meat and instead eat veg to be healthier, wealthier and more fabulous. IFA President Tim Cullinan says Farmers um, um, is joining me to uh, talk about this particular um, tweet that went out yesterday. Uh, Good morning to you, Tim. Good morning, Patricia. And you're welcome. Now, I know the EPA, they've since deleted uh, the post. Have you been able to talk to anybody f- from the EPA, particularly around who sanctioned this post? Yeah. No, not not yet, uh, Patricia, but you're right. I suppose, look, first of all, to say, I mean, the anger and frustration, you're right, among our members uh, since this uh, post was put up, and I suppose in particular around the tone of the post and, you know, a post going up online and is advocating you know, what uh, uh, food that consumers should consume. I mean, that's totally wrong. I suppose, no, what we did immediately was we wrote to the EPA and we asked them to remove the, the post, which they did. And uh, secondly, we, we have sought a meeting with the EPA. They haven't agreed we're going to have that meeting with them next week and you're right what I want to find out is you know who authorised the person to put this up in the first place and why they done it because look if you look at the EPA the EPA was an enforcement body set up by the government back in the 1990s and it's nothing about um, advocating what uh, type of food uh, consumers should consume so from that point of view you're right and I, I that's why it's important we have this meeting with the EPA and uh, we clear the air here and, and move forward because I say they have a role in life, we have a role in life, and, and you know, our role is protecting our farms, producing top quality food in this country, a grass based system which is one of the best in the world, and we do not want anybody damaging what we do. Now, I know the EPA and their response, they say that they have a responsibility to provide the public with advice on any measures that will help to protect and sustain our environment and lower carbon emissions. Yeah, but 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 uh, if you look at what I see on their website is is the remit is, is looking after pollution, radiation, all those kind of things, right? And that's a long way away from you know, giving people advice on what they should eat. So you know, that's where we find a major problem with all of this. And of course, like even if you do look at 
look, and the whole debate around the emissions is a very emotive. So we believe that uh, a lot of work has been done already. The EPA may think differently, but the EPA themselves, uh, in their annual report recently, stated that farmers can reduce and are, are reducing their emissions by 19%. And for anybody that was given a target of 25% and one year in, that the agency themselves are stating that we can reduce our emissions by 19%. And we know with you know, the advances in science, with the grass-based system that we have here in this country, one of the best and the most sustainable ways in the world of producing food, we can achieve our target. And I'd ask the question to the EPA, what are they doing about the other sectors? Are they going to reach their target? So we are the one sector to know that uh, everybody has been looking at. And I can clearly say this morning, we're on this journey. We are working with our farmers. Our farmers are doing a lot of work to ensure that they're producing sustainable food. And I think that's what the EPA should be acknowledging and not out there giving advice to people whether they should eat meat or not. Yeah, I mean, there has been a big push for people, though, to have these meat-free days. I mean, that was one of the things the EPA spoke about. But but was it, but I suppose, was it slightly unfair in the EPA to say you'd be healthier, wealthier and more fabulous? Yeah, well, healthier, wealthier, more fabulous. That's some statement to make now. And... Uh, I, I, I never advocate to people, look, I think our job or everybody's job here is it's up to individuals themselves. They make a life decision to know what they're going to consume, whether it is red meat or whether it is, it is, it is uh, plant-based or whatever. That's a decision for people themselves and they will make that decision. But all, all I'm saying here is that I can definitely say categorically the food that's produced here in this country is... Uh, one of the most sustainable countries in the world for doing that. It's done in a very sustainable manner. So we've been given targets. We're dealing with all of those targets. And there'll always be a debate around whether there's emissions from bovines or not. We have one view. Other people will have other views. And, you know, thus that debate will go on. But again, you know, we have to draw the line here when somebody is coming out there and, and advising people what they should consume one way or the other. Well, here's Mark, who is a farmer, says we must change our farming ways. With the last 30 years, water quality is in steady decline. What's the need to produce all this dairy and meat when we have to export 90% of that produce? Did Tim see note for nature on RT1 last night? Nature has been wiped out, all been driven by intensive, unsustainable farming eating less meat is a step in the right direction, not to mention reducing your risk of colon cancer. So it is a healthier alternative. Did you watch that programme? I didn't actually, Patricia. I don't have the luxury of watching television every evening, to be honest with you. But look, what I will say is we have an industry here in Ireland and where there's over what, in excess of 9 billion people in the world now. And this morning, there's people right around the world getting up and, and you know, the have not got food of any description to consume and I think it's very important first of all we have an industry here with 170 or 80,000 people implied directly or indirectly right up and down rural Ireland which is keeping rural Ireland ticking over it has done that in the past when you go back to the days of the recession in, in 2008, 2009 move on to COVID and in fairness the government recognised after the health service that farming and food production was an essential service as well. So from that point of view, that's why it's important we protect this sector. And if you take agriculture out of rural Ireland with 170,000 jobs in it, 
can anybody explain to me what's going to replace that? And look, I don't, I don't, I believe you know, by eating uh, adequate amounts of, of protein derived from, let's be dairy produce or red meat produce, I think it's, it's a healthy option. That's my view. And everybody is entitled to their own view, to be honest. So and I think that we have an industry and we can help feed people around the world you know, that cannot p- provide food for themselves. I think that's why it's important that we continue with this sector here in Ireland. OK, and, and talking about feeding people around the world, somebody says, uh, morning, uh, Patricia, good to hear Tim Cullinan on the programme today. Could you ask him, please, uh, did he react? And if not, why didn't he react to what this listener sees as an outrageous statement on Twitter by Chagas? This was back last December. And actually, thankfully, the listener has sent on uh, the tweet. It actually went out on the 26th of December last year. And the tweet was increasing production of current animal protein sources to feed a growing world population is not environmentally sustainable. Edible insects are a much more environmentally friendly and sustainable way to meet the increased demand for protein. Did you see that tweet on St. Stephen's Day? and I did and I spoke to Chagas at the time around that and like like your listener there I was very frustrated when I seen that tweet as well. I looked the explanation I got there it was somebody some I think it was either a student or whoever was doing research on this and that's how that tweet came about. And look, Chagas has uh, reassured me you know, that that's not what they're advocating. And look, I'd have to say you know, the research centre in Chagas at the moment you know, is very beneficial in the research and the trial work they're doing around the grass-based system. And already from a land use point of view and an emissions point of view, they have clearly demonstrated that grass-fed animals are producing less emissions. And as well, there was a whole debate around land use two years ago, and already the initial trials are showing that our land is sequestering more carbon than it was thought prior to the research that has been done, currently done by Chagas. OK, so you can't see many farmers moving to the production of edible insects. No, I don't. I, I don't think so. I come to prairie myself now. I don't think I'll be going into Nina with a basket of, of insects to sell them next week, Patricia. No, don't I think, think they'll be high demand. I think no. the butchers, the butchers of Ireland, are quite safe for another while. All right, listen, we'll leave it there. I'll be interested to see when you have your meeting with the EPA. But listen, we thank you for taking time out to talk to us this morning. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is uh, Tim Cullinan, who is the president of the IFA. And it isn't just the IFA that are up in arms over this tweet by the EPA. And as I say, they did delete the tweet, particularly after the IFA uh, got on uh, and asked them to uh, remove it. But I saw that the Irish Cattle and Sheep Farmers uh, Association, they actually, Dermot Kelleher, their president, they actually called it political campaigning against meat. And they say the ICSA was taken aback to see a blatant anti-meat crusade on the EPA social media platforms in the past f- a few days. Uh, the tweet might be acceptable for a vegan or vegetarian lobby uh, group, um, but not for the EPA. Now, with local and European elections set to take place next year, the ongoing discussion about election posters will once again surface with a number of people uh, feeling that they're just litter. If that's your view, then you'll be pleased to hear that the Green Party want to introduce a bill that would cut back on posters at election time. And joining me to explain why and more is Cleena O'Halloran, who is the Green Party rep for uh, Cove. Good morning to you, Cleena. 
Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Well, you're welcome. Now, I take it your party is coming at this very much from an environmental point of view. Is there a huge amount of waste cleaner generated by all of these election posters? Yeah, so there absolutely is. Um, The numbers I have is around 600,000 posters in the last election alone. And most of these are not recyclable due to the type of material and coating to make them weatherproof. And the Green Party have in the past tried to do a more environmental poster and it disintegrated. So they are, there definitely is a huge environmental and also safety concern because, you know, um, these, these posters can slip down poles, they can block visibility for drivers, for pedestrians. And with the storms we've been having lately, there's always a high risk of a storm in the middle of our advance of an election and a poster blowing away and hitting someone or hitting a car and causing an accident. So environmental and safety are definitely a huge aspect. But I think what's um, not given as much consideration or talked about in the past is inequality regarding posters. So they are very expensive to print. And if you are a candidate, an incumbent or a new candidate from a party uh, that has a lot of funding or uh, you're a candidate with a lot of personal funding, you can afford to have a lot of posters. And then for uh, candidates, say an independent um, or someone from a minority background who won't have as much support and funding, they're at a greater disadvantage then as a result. So I think or uh, what Senator Pauline O'Reilly is really putting forward in her bill around banning these posters is about creating a level playing field for all electoral candidates. Yeah, and there, and another just on the environmental aspect mm. of it. I know always following elections, we will get calls in, particularly from those wonderful, hard-working volunteers of the Tidy Towns yeah. Committee, who talk about the cable ties. Because when yeah. you put them, when you go up the pole to erect the poster, they're always tied up with cable ties. And while you know most of the political parties and the candidates are good at getting the posters back down. They're often in a hurry and they don't always necessarily remove all the cable ties. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, and if they do get blown off, you're seeing these lying around. Yeah. All plastic. It's so dangerous. And the Titans are fantastic. Many uh, Titans have um, agreed uh, exclusion zones for yeah. posters. And we have one in Cove too. And it's been really high compliance. And so it's, it's so important and it's been very welcome. Um, and, and I suppose while that is very welcome and I, I'm fully supportive, Again, you know, if you're a candidate in that town and you're well known, that's fantastic. But if you're a candidate who isn't actually living in that town and you don't have a poster in that area, you're going to be at a disadvantage again. So while uh, so I think an all out um, abolition of posters is the best thing to do. And in the proposal is to create designated areas where you will have not just a poster, but also the key policies and priorities of the candidate, because I think in this day and age, People expect to be given all the information and make informed decisions. A, a poster doesn't tell you how competent a candidate is. It doesn't tell you how um, in tune they are with, you know, local issues. And um, so, we, so local authorities be, like be given the, the um, you know, the ability to decide where the best designated areas are. All candidates and their key priorities and key information about the candidates, so that people can make 
um, informed decisions. Yeah, because yeah, I knew we were going to be uh, discussing this topic this week, and I was, I was chatting with um, some uh, friends at the weekend about it, and 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 not we all came to the same conclusion that we've never voted for somebody because we saw their face and name on a poster. Yeah. And I'm wondering, is is it just a kind of a, a historical thing that we always have done in this country? Because it it always annoys me when you see someone, and it is mainly the larger political parties. I won't call out anyone in particular who seem to get out ahead of the. And they'll do. There's a there. There is a road that leads into uh, Mallow Town, where the radio station is, and it will be just covered. Every single poll will be covered. But if if one candidate gets out ahead of another, they'll put posters up on every single poll. And I can never understand the logic of that. Yeah, I don't know, and I I don't uh, claim for a second to understand the psychology around it. But it actually does have an impact. Does it? Perhaps, yeah, perhaps it's around. Um, a familiar face, you know, somewhat similar to maybe product placement in TVs or or movies, right? A product, it appears and subconsciously becomes familiar. Maybe the familiar or it makes you vote for this person. Maybe you have a sense of, oh, I see a lot of their face. They must be a great candidate. But that's actually not necessarily the case. Uh, Senator O'Reilly in Galway, um, she went for a local election in Galway in 2019 and she had some posters to try to cut back as much as possible but of course as other parties were she needed to put some up but two candidates um, an incumbent and a new candidate didn't put posters up and they didn't get elected and they were very confident candidates in her opinion so it seems to have an impact of some sort um, but again, I, I wouldn't claim to understand the psychology. Yeah, around. yeah. But you see, if we could get everybody, particularly exactly. if we just look at it from the littering, you know, and the amount of energy that's wasted in generating these posters and all the plastic that's used on the cable ties, if we got everyone to buy in. And, and I'm wondering, what is the view from other political parties? There is, so in the latest Shannon debate on this um, in 2022, um, a lot of pushback from the other parties. Was there? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, from Sinn Féin, no, no major um, position on it from Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, but a big uh, pushback from Sinn Féin on it. And, you know, again, maybe it's historic. There's a lot of comments that it might take the excitement out of elections. I, I honestly can't see how, how you know, that would. I think it's only those closest to it or those going for election who are going to be as excited. I think the general public will just get worn out from it. I think younger people um, will are turning away from it. You know, when we're asking people to be more mindful of littering, of their consumption, of recycling, and then we're littering the countryside, with, uh, with posters. Yeah, and I, and I know a lot of the politicians will say that they do recycle their own posters in that they'll reuse sure. the same poster. And you certainly can see that sometimes when a poster goes up, you're thinking, mm, that photograph was taken a good few years yeah. ago. Yeah. So Absolutely. so in fairness, they, 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 they do try to do that. But there's still an environmental impact with, with all of the cable ties. Cleaner, do you know how do other European countries deal with election posters? Or do they all do the same thing? Yeah, many European countries now have moved towards that designated area idea. So they'll pick a common public area. So maybe it's a, a town hall or um, an area in, you know, a very central area. People people tend to gather that they can get to easily. Um, and they'll have one large say, a billboard or a freestanding structure that they can um, reuse every year. But then they'll have one poster per candidate on that structure and not only does it give their face but also their key priorities and policies 
Yeah, Harry says he remembers being in the Algarve a number of years ago. He thinks it was coming up to a European election and in the centre, the town centre, the square, there was this large board that had all of the posters with exactly what you were mentioning, Kleena, uh, what the various candidates were uh, standing for. And he said it was interesting to see people looking and reading what was on the boards. So yeah, absolutely, yeah. and making an informed decision. Okay, so so where where is um, Senator Pauline O'Reilly with? Uh, where is she with this bill? It's the it's the display of election and polling posters uh, bill of twenty twenty two. Where are we at with it? It's been through the second stage of um, okay. Shannon. So I think it needs to go through one final debate before there's a, a vote taken on it. Yeah, and and I saw Senator Pauline O'Reilly talking about back in in twenty. 2014, so like nearly nearly 10 years ago, 600,000 plastic posters for one election. That's the size of 23 Croke Parks is what it would feel. It's crazy if you were laying them all out. It's nuts for sure. Okay, listen, Cleena, thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you. Uh, good morning to you. So your thoughts welcomed uh, on that. Would you be with the Greens on this one? Uh, do, do we really need to have all of those posters? Are, as Cleana said, one of the arguments for hanging on to the posters, uh, a lot of people feel it kind of brings the excitement and people know, oh, there's an election uh, happening and all oh, this is great. And, you know, now I was talking with John Paul in the office and John Paul was saying, you know, with the amount of social media that's out there now and so many of our politicians are using, using social media that there would be very few people in the country who wouldn't realise that there was an election uh, going on. So do we need the posters or not? And does it add a kind of a carnival atmosphere, even though that's not really what elections should be about? Your thoughts welcomed on that. 0818 uh, 103 103. And I want to bring you an email that we got into the programme earlier to Cork today at c103.ie. From do am I allowed to use a name on this? I don't. Uh, Sheila. Yep, it's okay to mention Sheila's name. And this, I think, is worth mentioning for anybody else who may be switching over from one electricity provider to another. And God knows we advocate for that all of the time. Whenever we speak with uh, people like Dara. Uh, Cassidy from Bonkers.ie, our own Clark from Switcher.ie. We're always saying to people, particularly if you've been with the one provider for many, many years, it might be worth your while to switch providers because there's great offers. Not certainly with electricity, the offers aren't as good as they were once upon a time, but you can still save money. So we're always encouraging people uh, to do that. But anyway, Sheila White, Steve Patricia. I want to share my experience. When I recently transferred my electricity account, I went from SSE Airtricity to Electric Ireland. Now, my 12-month contract with SSE Electricity expired on the 15th of August this year. I checked with that supplier uh, who confirmed that, yes, you're now free to transfer to another supplier. So I transferred the following day to Electric Ireland on the 16th of August. I had a very healthy credit balance on my account with SSE Airtricity. Now, in part, that was thanks to the government payments during last year. I decided today that I'd check my online SSE invoice uh, to make sure that that credit had been retained and that my unused credit balance had been transferred over to Electric Ireland. They had, have, I also, they had, All the credits went over, but I then discovered they charged me €55.54 for the period the 13th of August to the 15th of August. 
Because Sheila, you're using a lot of electricity in two days. Anyway, I was surprised at that. Checking the online invoice, I discovered they had included a 50 euro early termination charge. So the actual bill for those few days of electricity should have just been €5.54. I rang them immediately and after some investigation I was told, oh, sorry there now. That was a glitch in our system. They said they'll refund the remaining unused credit back into my bank account, but they'll have to reissue the invoice then for the 13th through to the 15th, omitting the 50 euro termination uh, charge. And they said, sorry about this, Sheila, it'll take a number of days. Really, I was shocked. I am an elderly woman. I'm living alone. It was only by chance that I discovered this mistake. I think of all of the other elderly like me and fear they could easily become victims. Thank you for your service of assistance and entertainment uh, best wishes uh, Sheila and Sheila is uh, you know absolutely I can see that you're advocating on behalf of older people but it's not just older people there'll be a lot of younger people who will switch and may not have the foresight to do the little bit of Miss Marple that you did to do to check to actually check and make sure and I know the reason you weren't expecting to get charged the termination charge because you didn't you weren't going you were well within your rights to move so there shouldn't have been a termination charge and while you were making sure that your credit had gone uh, over it was only then that that you spotted it I don't think it's a cautionary tale for anyone who's moving from one provider be it electricity be it your telephone be it your TV whatever it is you do need to be to make sure that's why any bill that we get we're, I think we're all gone a little bit lazy about bills and part of the problem I think is because we don't get a physical bill in through the door anymore. Everything now comes by email and you see the email and what all you might do is just look at the top figure. What do I owe? Most of us have direct debits so the direct debit just goes out of your bank account so you don't even have to worry about paying it. Once upon a time a bill would arrive in, you'd open the bill, you'd look at the bill and then you'd physically go somewhere to pay the bill. So I think we had more of an idea if we were getting ripped off or if there was a mistake. I think a lot of us, and I'm putting my hand up and saying I'm certainly one of them, I can't tell you when I last checked a bill. So I think there's a good cautionary tale from uh, Sheila. And you know, some might say she 50 euro doesn't sound like a lot, but it's 50 euro that is better off in Sheila's bank account because it belongs to her and it doesn't belong to SSE Airtricity. So thank you for that uh, email, uh, Sheila to uh, Cork today at c103.ie On my chat with Tim Cullinan of the IFA on this tweet from the EPA advocating that uh, we should all eat less red meat and it will make us healthier, wealthier and fabulous (laughs) I loved the line, it'll make us fabulous Anyway Obviously, farmers are not happy with that. Uh, Alan says, Patricia, the EPA are actually correct to advocate for a more plant-based diet. While their original tweet focused on waste and health benefits, there's no doubt that meat production produces more greenhouse gas emissions as well. Care for the environment at the end of the day is the EPA's remit. So they were right to uh, tweet it. Well, let's see how they get on. They've agreed to meet with the farmers about that particular uh, tweet. We'll, we'll, We'll await to see what comes of that meeting, Alan. Thank you for your text. And Micah says, Patricia, never forget, Ireland is an agricultural country. Always has been and always will be. Ireland's biggest problem is that farming is being, to coin a phrase, ran into the ground by the industrialised world. This country's drainage systems are prevented for a lot of 
different reasons, none of which help ag- agriculture, but can then go on to cause flooding, uh, which can prevent farming. The River Shannon, the Lee, the Liffey, the Blackwater, the Bandon, and many, many more need serious dredging in order to be effective, particularly effective when it comes to land drainage, thereby obtaining maximum from the land and furthermore enhancing the quality of the land and what it produces. Our biggest problem is that the biggest percentage of our parliamentarians are not fit for purpose. Some of them wouldn't know how to tie a knot in a piece of twine, not to mind govern govern a country. All right, strong words there from Michael. Thank you from that. 0818103103. And then on posters, Molly and Ballinhasek, I do feel that the election posters absolutely destroy the countryside. One or two are okay, but having every single poll plasters with posters, it's just not on anymore, particularly with the green agenda. Joe says there should be no posters up uh, in polls, is that polling stations around the country. They are disgusting and they're an insult to the Tidy Towns group. We work so hard to keep the place tidy and then they're left with cable ties lying on the ground. So, OK, sorry, I think that should be there should be no posters for any election uh, in this country. Uh, Joe says just put them up near the polling stations and then they can be taken down that night and actually that's the exact opposite of what happens. They're not allowed anywhere near uh, polling stations at the moment. And Dennis lives in the city suburbs. He says there's a railing alongside a footpath near where Dennis lives that particular railing will get plastered with posters at election time. He thinks it's unsightly and it shouldn't be allowed. Now, Councillor John O'Sullivan is in Court McSherry and John uh, joins me on this topic. Good morning to you, John. Morning, Patricia. Now, firstly, and, and I need to point this out, you're not running in the next election, so you won't be putting, no, up, po- you won't be putting up posters. OK, no. what's your um, view on election posters? Well, John Paul there on the phone, if a candidate is running... As from what I've seen, unless they have posters and a reasonable number, they may as well not run. That's the, that's the bottom line, as far as I can as far as I can see. And why is that? The, why why do posters work? Because the the principle the principle uh, I suppose way of getting votes is na- the, for, the first principle of it is getting name recognition, and unless people can recognise the photograph and, and recognise the person. They won't even ask what, what the policies of how what kind of person they are unless unless that happens. Um, now I I do agree fully, and I said this to John Paul there. Like the the length of time should be limited. I said I think the public engage on uh, on a realistic level for about three weeks before an election, and I, I think that would be would be adequate enough. But I I would compare I would compare an election without posters as playing a football game without a football. You could have all the skills in the world, but no nothing will come out unless. Unless you you can you can um, dis- display who you are and what you are, that's my and, take and, on it. And okay, b- before previous elections, how many posters would you have erected personally? We used to get a hundred posters. Hundred, okay. Yeah, no, that's that's our party. That's 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 what that's what we would. Um, no, I, I I can say that 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 can be augmented, and I and I'm showing my age now. I'm going back to the by-election with, with Tom Hayes up in, in, in Tipperary. And there was a, a decision made that every 10 days the posters would be moved. So it looked like that there was a lot more posters there, but it actually had it actually had a significant... Um, uh, it, this is it just incidental on this. When the poster was moved, it actually got more attention than when the poster was left there. It's incredible, isn't it? the poster. Yeah. And it, it, yeah. it brings attention. But like if, if we have people once every five years or whatever it is, 
that are prepared to put their name up on a ballot paper. And that's a big decision to make. It's a big thing to do. Surely the public can live with a couple of weeks of, of, of postering just to get to know these people. They must be taken down. The legislation is there. They can't be put on ESP polls. They can't be put within 50 metres of, of polling stations. And they can't be... In general, there's an agreement that they won't be put within within town boundaries. There, there are a number of kind of... There are regulations and there are kind of practices that, that, that are done. But I, I, I think democracy... And, and I'm a great believer in democracy and I'm very fearful of what's happened in other countries where where democracy has been hijacked for feds. And I'm just afraid that this is what, this is one of them, you know. And as I said, I'm standing back as Eddie Goggins and I'm, I'm being put on guy out to grass. Yeah. Uh, I can know, I as, as Jim O'Keefe said to me there one day, he said, well, you, you will now be one of the, the elder statesmen. He said, you you can sit on the ditch now and you can no. pontificate all you like. Well, it was but interesting it, because it is the Green Party are proposing it and it is the Green Party Senator Pauline O'Reilly. And, she, and, she, and while she's advocating for less posters and they want a kind of a, you know, in the town square, or in the centre of the village, you'd have some kind yeah. of a billboard up and everybody would put their posters just there. But she did admit that some candidates in her age, she's from Galway, uh, that yeah. two who she felt were really strong candidates and because they opted not to put up posters, they didn't get elected. So, I mean, well, your theory uh, is right. All the research is the first, the first principle to get elected is name recognition. Full stop, yeah. first principle of it. But th- there's another angle t- to this thing about posters. I mean, if if we're going to come down on top of posters and stop them completely, if the circus comes to town, can they put up a poster? If if the Chagas want to run a promotional event, can they put up a poster directing people? Yeah, well, if, they... If a, well, if if company, well, to put up... I mean, we, ha- we had the debacle with the rows of um, Kate, the, the rows of Tralee and Ballancolic, where businesses were wishing her well and the, the city council removed all of the posters. So, I mean, you do need permission to put up those posters. That's right. That's right. That's right. But, I mean, but you if, don't if, for election posters. Well, you don't for... for from for, for a certain uh, thirty days period of time. It's thirty days. You you get the That's time right, period yeah. is thirty days before polling day, and they must be taken down within seven days of polling That's right. day. That's, that's but, the, but, the, but the one that we get the most complaints about, uh, um, John, I have to say, are the cable ties. Not everyone yeah. is very careful about taking away those cable ties. Uh, yeah, and I can see, no, I did say that... that the posts have got so strong at this stage, you've got to cut the cable tie, but it is important to pick up the cable tie. That, yeah. that is, you know. Now, the, you can get cable ties at this stage with, 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 with a little, uh, that, you can, that you can actually reopen and just pull them off. Which would be great. Re- reusable ones. Yeah, reusable. You, yeah. you can get that. You can get those as well, and maybe that should be looked at. And, and I've no issue with, with, with tightening it up. And that, but I, I would just think that for, for, for new uh, candidates go out there unless they can do a reasonable amount of posting it would be extremely difficult to particularly in rural areas anyway and, and I know the word was said there about social media but you know there are older people and I suppose maybe I'm getting there myself but <laughs> they don't engage as much with, with social media as maybe the younger generation do so yeah. maybe it's something that will happen uh, progressively over time a, a over time yeah. there's, a, there's a bit of razzmatazz comes up about, well, about, about well you see a number of people say that it almost adds a carnival Atmosphere. That's right. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a spectator sport. Most of the people are watching a small number putting their names on the ballot paper and watching the following day how how they get on. So I mean, it's it, it's it is it is something that that the public should be engaged with because you know for the next five years of the new local authority or whatever whatever the time for for an Arctis, um, election. 
those are the people that are going to make the decisions. Yeah. And the decisions, and, 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 and this is one thing that I, that I see and I'm very strong on, the, the decisions taken today may, may affect children in 10 years' time. Like if, if we don't, like, like you take a town, the, the development plan was done last year, if adequate consideration isn't given to putting a site in place for a school, there'll be no site for the school in 10 years' time when the population grows. Yeah, and the children, if, the children that if, are not even born yet are the ones yeah, that get affected take, by that. And you, you had about Planet Kilty there the other day about, about the bypass and it's gridlocked. Yeah. Without, without making preparation and advocating and pushing for, for a new road or an extension road or whatever it is, the place will be gridlocked. Um, you know, putting development, and I'm very strong on this, and I've said it, putting development land in corners where there's no access out of can create gridlock in the town without, without spreading it around the town. So it is critically important that those who are elected have a kind of, I suppose, a horizontal view of, of, of what's happening rather than specific or, or, or narrow. Yeah, because and that they know they know their area. The yeah, they know their area. Like and you've, you've, you've no regrets about not running again, John? No, I, I look, no. I, I took the decision. I have, I, 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 next year it will be 20 years since I stood for election first. Well. I've been elected, I've been elected, I didn't get elected in 2014. I, I have a 50% success rate <laughs> in getting elected and that's not an issue. But I, I, I quite, I, I think, I come to the end of of the term. I, I think it's it's place for somebody new. Is it? Somebody. But is it hard to get younger people engaged yes. in, particularly in local politics? It's look. It's it's hard to get people involved in anything in voluntary organisations in any in communities. Like we can't even get people now to to, to get to do paid work. I know. I that's know. how that's how serious. It is. And we we have a scenario where where people are getting disengaged. They're they're not. I, I would be critical of the, of, of the school curriculum. The, the the emphasis on community and and community support isn't emphasised in school. It's totally about points and trying to get to college and get the next stage. There's more to life than that. And again, now maybe I'm getting older and and getting pondering on this, but I I do think that if an area can get a person that's competent. And they can and they can see that they can deliver over a time. But uh, to be honest with you, I personally would be of the opinion that there should be term limits. That you can I, only run for so many elections. Be- because uh, it's it's the same as the, the community association. People are absolutely afraid of their life to take on the chairmanship because they'll have it for the rest of their life. Whereas if there was if there was a term, yeah, there might true. be more people who become true. involved. That's true. I, I've, I've I been involved in committees in my day and for that reason nobody wants to take on the officership because they see the previous and, and guy was there for years. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. All right. I mean, uh, that's what it is. Okay, you know? listen, uh, John, we'll speak again in the meantime. Thank you for that. Thanks. And uh, there's, uh, bye-bye, there's uh, John, who's speaking from experience, very much advocating that posters should remain in uh, place. Uh, somebody says, we know who's running for election and we know who they are. So why do we need to look at these people, th- these people's faces every day on posters? Uh, we know who we will vote for. We see their faces online and on the TV uh, every day. Yeah, but I don't know about with local elections. Uh, is 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 that true? And the evidence is there for newer candidates is to try and get their names and their faces out there. That's what posters have a huge benefit for, not the ones that have been there for many, many years. Of course, you're going to recognise those. 0818 103 103. Uh, John Paul taking your calls. C103 Jobs. An office administrator is wanted to work in Canturk. CVs, please, to info at 
multisweep.com. The Hibernian Hotel in Mallow have vacancies for a chef to party or a breakfast chef. Email your CV, please, to exechef at hibernianhotelmallow.com. A part-time and full-time hairstylist wanted to work in McCroom. CVs, please, to lavenderhairmccroom, and that's at gmail.com. And a part-time childminder is wanted to work in the Kahula area in West Cork. Phone Caroline 86 37921951. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group for motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Yesterday we spoke about the number of beaches that recently had to put up a no swim ban in place due to raw sewage going into the scene and that was following some very heavy rainfall. Well, today we're focusing on litter at our beaches with the latest result of the annual survey from the Irish Business Against Litter. Connor Horgan of Eyeball uh, joining me. Good morning to you, Connor. Good morning, Patricia. Now, disappointing to see, I have to say, that our beaches are, are, are actually more litter than our towns. Yeah, that's right. And of course, um, you know, we're looking back on a summer now which was very unsettled and you would have said our beaches didn't come under the same pressure in terms of visitors as normal. So our expectation was that we'd have a positive result this year. But in fact, fewer than half our beaches were clean even though they were quiet for much of the summer. Um, And, you know, the beaches and areas we surveyed around Cork fared particularly badly with Kinsale, Ballinacurra, Bantry and Castletown Bear all littered. Um, There was some good news. Uh, We've spoken before about Cork Harbour at Blackrock Castle Mm. and White Bay being littered black spots. They've shown improvement. um, Still littered, though. they're, They're still littered, but, I mean... You know those areas, they're a magnet for litter because litter flows from the city. So, you know, they'll always have a struggle on their hands. And we know the work that the cleanup groups are doing there. Clearly, the local authority have intervened and have have rid the area of some of the, the, the very big litter items or dumped items that we spoke of in the past, like domestic appliances and tyres and so forth. So let's hope they keep up that work because um, they were real eyesores and we had a number of those in Dublin as well and they've also improved. Yeah, so I mean, that it's is... It's a tailor too hard. Yeah, really. I suppose and, and and we always, whenever we speak with you, we always try and focus on the positives as well as the negatives and the positives really are that since you started this in, I think it was 2017, you started looking at, at beaches this time and I think it's, it's for the first time no litter black spot. That's right. And, you know, we've seen a similar trend in our studies of um, towns and cities. So, like, in general, we can say that the very heavily littered sites around the country, be they inland or on our coast, are being cleaned up. That's a positive. And when we talk about the litter that was found, I mean, what are we talking about? Is, is it litter coming in from the sea or is it a combination of that with people leaving litter behind them? It's a mix of that. I mean, first of all, when we talk about a, an area being moderately littered, we're not just talking about the odd sweet wrapper flowing in on the wind. You know, we are talking accumulations of litter. That will be, as you say, it will be a mixture of litter coming in from the sea, um, including marine litter, which is quite uh, common. That would be nets and, and, and fishing gear. Um, and But also, clearly, the people who continue to frequent our coastline, even in, in inclement weather, 
you know, they, they're not um, bringing home what they uh, bring with them. They're, they're dumping on the ground or, or dropping litter on the ground still. It's just, it's, it really is shocking. Uh, disposable vapes, uh, Connor. not surprised you're talking about that in the report. Yeah, they're the, the new kid on the block, if you will, and are most unwelcome addition to the suite of litter we're seeing because they're very difficult to recycle, I guess. I mean, if you consider this item, it has a battery in it, it has electronics in it, and it's single-use plastic. There's no easy way to sort that item. Um, So what do you do? I mean, you bring it back to the retailer maybe, but even then we're not really assured that there's a proper channel for for disposing of it. Um, Anyway, what's happening is that they're landing on our beaches at an increasing rate, and um, uh, they're causing serious, they will cause serious damage to our marine environment. Yeah, because I I know when we last spoke about the, 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 your other, survey, your, the, the town's ones uh, we were talking about it uh, as well and I made a point of in advance of you coming on, uh, keeping a lookout uh, for them and, and and now because I think I have an awareness of these disposable uh, vapes I'm, I'm seeing them everywhere Connor. Yes and I mean you know, it would make you wonder that like people obviously choose the disposable version over the refillable version and you know that makes you wonder why do they do that? It's obviously a convenience in it, and that convenience extends to just throwing it on the ground. Um, like because there is an alternative that's more sustainable, namely the refillable type. We think there's a case for banning this, and that you know there is there is um, um, a consultation going on at the moment with government about targeting young people with vapes, and part of that is do we ban disposable vapes? Yeah, because even if we were to get them all back to a central place, or there, there's an issue around recycling them, isn't there? Is the actual breaking down of them and trying to recycle them? Yes, there is, and I mean, the, the, you know, the, the, the cost and re- one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Resources involved in extricating the battery and the electronics and the plastic. It, it just doesn't make sense. It runs counter to, you know, our ideal of a circular economy. OK, we've only been talking this week about lack of toilet facilities at some of our beaches here in Cork and it's leading to all kinds of uh, problems for people who get short taken on the sand dunes and even in people's gardens. But anyway, that's a discussion for another day. But whenever we talk about people going to the beach, inevitably we'll talk about there's not enough bins. Did, did you notice yeah. that? Well, I think, I mean, the issue with bin, one of the issues with bins is that people maybe then go to the beach with an expectation that they'll be able to dump their rubbish in a bin. That's not a reasonable expectation in good weather because you know what happens in a bin. With, we have what happens in good weather where the bins will be overflowing in no time. But, you know, given that this summer we didn't have those occasions where our beaches were overflowing, I think um, maybe the lack of bins was part of the reason for the litter. I mean, um, because it would have been quite easy to manage easy to manage bins this summer. They wouldn't have been overflowing. And I think there probably is a case for more bins generally. I think there is. They're not the panacea, 
But uh, I think that I, I think probably from this year's report, we'd be saying there should be more of it. Yeah, I was down um, on one of the odd fine days that we had this year back in May. I was in Tremor in County Waterford um, and I couldn't get over the amount of they, these really large wheelie bins all along the promenade. And because of that, because it was so easy for people to put their rubbish into it, the place was spotless. Yes, and I mean, Tremor had a particularly an exceptionally good result this year. So, I mean, Tremor is one of those cases where I think when the bad weather, good weather comes, the council get out with those temporary bins, which are um, which which are a good solution. And they can't be there permanently, really, because people will use them to dispose of their household waste. We know that from around the country. So that's what makes the councils reluctant to use those bins on an ongoing basis. Well, it's one of the reasons that when we've contacted the council in the past about removing a bin from a particular area, it's one of the reasons that they get back to us and say we had no choice. People were using it to put their domestic uh, rubbish uh, into. Uh, Margaret, who is a volunteer with the Tidy Towns, agrees with you on the disposable vapes. She said we're seeing them all the time now, but we still, she says, have an ongoing issue with cigarette butts. Was that yeah, an I'm issue? Glad, I'm yeah. glad she highlights Was that, that an issue with the beach as well? It is indeed. Um, we're not seeing much fall off in cigarette litter. And, you know, if we were to have, you know, one message from our survey this year, it would be, you know, please don't dismiss cigarette butts as an insignificant litter item. Because at the sea, they have the potential to contaminate hundreds of litres of water even. And um, as long as cigarette butts are nonchalantly thrown around our coastline, um, we're going to have a continued problem with uh, contaminated water. We often speak with uh, Clean Coast Ballinamona. They're just a fantastic bunch yeah. of people. Where would we be without groups like that, uh, Connor? Yeah, and look, it's great to see that their work is bearing fruit because of the result at White Bay there, and let's hope that continues. Um, you know, there's over 2,000 groups uh, in the Clean Coast programme now. And I think a real positive is the uh, the increase in volunteers. Mm. It, you know, it indicates that there's, you know, there's real public concern about our marine environment and people are willing to do something about it. And I think, as I've said, you know, I'd like to think that if you see your neighbour, you know, volunteering on a beach, you'll think twice before undoing the good work and littering on the beach yourself. So if the community's helping with the clean-up, I think you can create a virtuous circle. And there is a, I know in September, don't they do that big beach clean-up every big September? Big beach clean is coming in September. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's a great initiative. So um, We'll be talking it, about that. There'll be 40,000 volunteers, I think. Yeah, year, and the more the merrier, the more people we can get out. Listen, uh, Connor, pleasure as always. Thank you for that. Thank you, Patricia. And uh, Thank you. thanks for joining us. That is uh, Connor Hogan of the Irish Business Against uh, Litter with the latest from our beaches. And unfortunately, there was six places surveyed for Cork and none of them came out in the clean to European norms um, for, uh, as a result of the survey. None of them came out as moderately, moderately littered. Unfortunately, all six came out as littered. It was Ballinacolor in Cork, Bantry Harbour, uh, Castletown Bear Harbour, Cork Harbour, Blackrock Castle, Kinsale Harbour and White Bay Beach. We have a lot of work to do, folks. Uh, to clean up our litter at our seas. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls. I played that Kango Hammer earlier. Uh, a listener who sent this into us and this is what kept her awake last night. Oh my 
Brown, if you're a light sleeper, you wouldn't sleep through that. And that went on until 1am in the morning. She's in Bridge Street in Bandon. There was a work going on. Uh, she says it's by the council. I don't know if it is by the council or they got contractors in or what, but they were obviously doing uh, overnight uh, work. Uh, JJ says, Patricia, what you have to bear in mind is you can't please all of the people all of the time. Everybody wants their roads fixed and nighttime is the only time for some of those very, very large dro- jobs. And Bridge Street in uh, Mallow is, is a very, very busy uh, spot. So it's just unfortunate for the people who are living locally. But I think in fairness to the listener who contacted us, she was saying they weren't even pre-warned. Even if they put a note through the door, there isn't that many people living in that area. There's apartments there. And I don't know if there's some people living over some of the shops on Bridge Street. But if they'd even put a note through the door just to say, look, folks, we're going to be working it's going to be a bit noisy. You know, the, the jackhammer stopped at 1am. I don't know if that's when the work stopped or they just ended the noisy part of the job at 1am. But she felt, you know, if they were forewarned. So at least then if you're forewarned that maybe you can, if you are a light sleeper, you can arrange to, you know, go somewhere else or, or whatever. I think that was our, our biggest bugbear. We're still waiting for a response from the council. Now with students having had time to digest their leaving cert results from last Friday, thoughts turn to what next? With words of advice, especially ahead of tomorrow's First round CAO offers Roshin Kelleher, our career guidance expert, uh, joins us. Good morning to you, Roshin. Good morning, Patricia. And I suppose thoughts must firstly go with uh, those four, uh, the three leaving cert students and uh, one of their brothers who was so tragically killed on Friday. I think that's had a, a real profound effect on the class of 23, even, you know, um, teenagers here in Cork, I think, very much affected by that news last Friday. Tragic, and I suppose in one, on one hand, which of course would be dreadful for anybody, it could have happened to anybody. Yeah. And this is what makes it so real and so very, very upsetting. And of course, particularly at the time when the time of joy with the leaving cert results and and all of their future in front of them, to see that just cut off, it is so tragic. It is so upsetting, and it's terrible. And, and again, tomorrow, with looking forward to CAO that it's, it's clouded, that this part of it is there for those young people, their families, their friends, the impact it has on their friends, and not forgetting all the other young people that have had tragedies this summer. Yeah, the yeah, the, the two boys, boys on holidays, the girls going to the yeah. Debs, yeah. And the drowning. Yeah, and, it's and, just and awful. Again, we can't, yeah, we can't focus on, on the upset of that. I know that is local to an area and to their families. But it could have been anybody. Yeah. And in yeah. that sense, it, it, you know, it dampens us a bit. And I suppose, I hope, certainly, it makes one appreciate more. It makes one feel you hug your children more. You appreciate what they have. It doesn't matter about, as one young person last yesterday said, the figures on a page. We get over that. The main thing is to appreciate each other, to care for each other, and for those who need that help that somebody will direct them to get the help and that no one is left in a dark place or that no one is left behind or that nobody feels they're forgotten or it doesn't matter. So... Okay, so 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 let's forget. let's look back then to um, uh, to last Friday. Uh, firstly, yeah. there obviously will be some people who just weren't happy with the with the results. What's the advice yes. there? Yes. So this always happens. So today is an important day because the facility uh, they can apply to view the scripts, which can be done today up to five o'clock, and it's very important, I believe, to uh, view the scripts. For some people, they may not wish to look at what they've already written, 
but there's much to be learned from this. And from this, and that doesn't cost anything as well, that's important to say that, but from viewing the scripts, they can then make a decision. Will they go to have their papers rechecked? Now, if they go for a recheck, that will cost them, but of course that could be very worthwhile, but at least they can make that decision. It would be, what I would say, an informed decision. How much does it cost? decide whether they want to take the next step. How much does it cost? Uh, yes. So that would be one step. The next sorry, step, uh, sorry, then, Roisin, how much, how, much yes. does, how much does it cost to get a paper rechecked? For, for 40 euro per paper. Okay. But if they find in the rechecking of the papers that uh, an error was made on the part of the correctors and the Department of Education, that money is refunded. Okay, okay, that's fair enough. Of course, it's important to say with regard to the rechecking of the papers, they can go up, of course. In most cases, they do go up, but they can go down as well. So one has to be mindful. So I do think it is very, very useful to view the scripts first before making that decision. And ask so, a teacher to take a look at it with you. Can you do that? If, 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 if one can be fortunate enough to have a teacher look, look at it, it, of course, it would be hugely beneficial. Yeah, yeah. But of course, they can't take in any uh, written work with them, but they are allowed their mobile phones and they can also check online. OK. So these are great facilities, actually, that they can use if they so wish. OK, so the important date's coming up. Uh, tomorrow is the big one. Yeah, and, and the closing on that would be tomorrow. So they have to be mindful of that. And of course, for some students, I know there's a lot of controversy over the mathematics uh, earlier in the summer. Uh, there would have been the opportunity for those students, if they wished, in, depending on the college, where they could have resat the Leaving Cert exam. Again, there's no use talking about that today because to my knowledge here at local level in Cork that has taken place in okay. Kerry yesterday and Cork today. So we can't dwell on that. But that facility would have been there and I'm sure and I would hope they were aware of that from last week. Okay, so this first round offers tomorrow. What's, what, what happens first tomorrow? First round offers tomorrow. Now, of course, we've seen wonderful results. And this year, I would have to say it, it has been wonderful, for, for, certainly from my point of view, and on the health times, that the same amount of trauma and upset hasn't been, um, you know, recorded that we see with young people. Because it, by, by and large, they have got good results. Now, we know we can say they're in places, but nonetheless, it is wonderful to have done that. And it would be remiss of me not to congratulate them and to acknowledge that great achievement and also on the part of everyone who supported them, their family and their teachers. So that has been acknowledged and it's there. But where will this lead them? This is the next question. So, of course, tomorrow is going to be very important. They have to be patient until 2 o'clock tomorrow afternoon when the first round offers will be made available. Now, because everybody has increased at the points, the risk is everybody will be clamouring for the same thing. So, very unfortunately, everybody mightn't get what they want. But then there are a lot of options. So let's hope the young people and the persons making applications to the CAO did put in very good offers right through their level eight, their honours degree programmes, used all their 10 options, put down what they most wanted, would have used the facilities if they didn't get the points or if other people got equally good points that they would have other options than level 8. There also would have been on level 7 and 6. The 7 would be the ordinary degree programmes, 6 are the certificates. And of course, one can progress from level 6 to 7 to 8. So let's hope that will be useful tomorrow when they'll see that. Okay. But all isn't lost by any means. The next day, on the Thursday, the available places will be published on the CAO website at noon. 
So these would be places that haven't been filled on the first round. So this is also a very, very useful place to look. Now, they still have to meet their entry requirements, but there could indeed be very good options there. And then, of course, there are all the other... Of course, the CAO then would continue with offering second-round offers. How long, how long offers. do you have in order to accept your place? It can, it can vary uh, because, of course, they want to get through this as quickly as possible. So they, 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 will, they will say it very clearly on their uh, sheets that have been offered when you must accept by. So the first one they have given us a, a closing date or acceptance date by the 5th of September. But I would say between the offer tomorrow and between the acceptance, please research the courses. Of course, it's wonderful that you've been offered a course. They may be offered two courses. They could be offered a course on level 8, courses on level 7, 6. And then they have to make up their mind as to which one they take. No matter what they take, it has to be a course that has been researched and checked. And when I mean by research, I don't mean just looking at the title. I mean going through the modules of the course, looking to see what the course program is about. And not just for first year, right through all the years that one will be studying for that particular course. Yeah, to make sure and that it's for you. Okay, there will be some people who go for a gap year. It is possible to defer an offer from tomorrow, that, isn't there? Absolutely. But they must contact the course provider or the person who's offered them the course with regard to that, because that can vary from college to college. So you wouldn't accept it, but you would make contact to the college. And that course then will be kept for the students, irrespective of point increase next year or other year afterwards. Okay. It's held for them. Okay. They must reapply through the system. Again, they follow the instructions. So the second round offer that is due out on the 11th of September and so it continues. For the round three, round four and uh, round five. five. Now I'm conscious conscious of time and I'm trying to get through as much information as we can. For those who are not happy, checked the results, realised they didn't do as good as they thought. Uh, The possibility of repeating the Leaving Cert? Repeating the Leaving Cert, of course, is an option. Uh, But they must know why. And they must be interested to know what about this leaving cert and what they'd be aiming to do with regard to it. Or there might have been a subject that they would repeat either to meet an entry requirement that they may not have met on this year. Of course, they can't combine points. So they'll be very careful about that. So it would be a reset of the six papers to okay. maybe increase the points. But the post-leaving cert courses, Patricia, we can't forget those. And they can still make direct entry with regard to those particular programmes. And we have a new uh, game player in this this year, Minister Aris says it would make such a difference, and they're the tertiary programmes. What are these? Are, these are yes, brand new. They're brand new. So isn't it wonderful? It's always exciting. It's never boring in career guidance. So these particular programmes are offered, not in every college, but in many colleges. It's, it's been just rolled out this late spring, summer. And they're, they're like the post leaving or courses in one sense with the ETB. A person can make application and they can still make application, which is very important. And if they get onto one of these programmes, they have a smoother transition into higher education. Wow. Wow. By that I mean that they don't have to compete on a competitive basis to gain access. You see, the persons on the post leaving cert programmes, of course, they're wonderful. And of course, there's a progression into higher education. But there isn't a progression for everybody. You know, mm. we want to be careful about this. There's only a certain number of places allotted. Now, on these new programmes, they have a guaranteed number of places. 
So if a student gets onto one of these programmes, in effect, in one sense, they're intern level. They can avail of, we'll say, the library facilities of the college that they might be progressing into. They can avail of any of the facilities that would be there. And when they finish their exams on one-year or two-year programme, they will go automatically into this higher education course and complete their programme. And, of course, it has the advantage. For the first two years, they're not paying higher education fees. Okay, and those new, those new, those new tertiary courses, uh, people can find out more about them on www.nto.ie. All the details there, and they can still apply. And then, uh, yeah, apprenticeships, please. Apprenticeships, huge number of apprenticeships that are available. Again, the apprenticeships.ie will give them that information. Then there will be the fetch courses, which is the training programs. And for some students, if they want to consider outside of the Republic of Ireland, then there are the UK programmes, not as popular now with many students. Are they not? The, 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 the cost yeah, involved. Okay. Because of Brexit? Brexit? Yeah, Brexit. And okay. they're also the EU. And so for some students, they will look then to mainland Europe. And that, of course, would be the Unicast site. Very important also, they can still apply for their SUSE grants. So for very many of the students, who are going away from college and of course here in West Cork this can be the case for many of them I know many of them will commute but quite a number of them may have to go to another location where there's no choice but to get accommodation now the cost involved in that and also the availability so these are very big issues for people and I'm meeting more and more persons who will say will you just tell me about the courses in Cork I, I can't afford to go anywhere else yeah. which, is, which is a pity because of course it affects perhaps their career and their courses and all the rest but, but it's a reality. It's a reality for, for so many. Yes. So, um, and they, so, so don't forget the Susie uh, grant and the National Parents Council. Uh, the, it's, there's a helpline. Yeah, it was, we mentioned it last week for the Leaving Cert. It's still open, yes. is it? Still open and will continue until Saturday, 2nd of September at 1-800-265-165. And of course, naturally, guidance counsellors, principals, teachers at their local schools are always there to help. I'm here if anybody wishes to avail of my services. So help is there and to avail of the help and to be careful with the decisions. And I wish everybody the best of luck with regard to it and all success with their future careers. Okay, listen, thank you for that, Roisin. Your reminder of information, as always, we'll speak again. Thanks for joining us. That is Roisin Kelleher, uh, our career guidance expert. Somebody was asking about the paper rechecking that we mentioned. It is €40 euro to have your paper rechecked. Somebody's wondering, is, is that €40 euro a one-off price for two or three papers or is it per subject? It is per subject. But if your appeal is successful, the charge is refunded. Now, before we get to some of your thoughts and comments on issues we've been addressing today, a West Cork listener uh, wants to bring up the topic of what's going on in Spain at the moment and in particular surrounding the Spanish Football uh, Federation. And I was wondering, would we get any thoughts or or comments on this? So very, very much welcome uh, your interest in this particular topic. This West Cork listener says... Uh, I think the Spanish football president's kiss on the Spanish player was a bit insensitive in that it lasted too long. But everything, according to this listener, has been blown out of all proportion. At the end of the day, kissing is natural and it's stimulating. Obviously, in the wrong situation, kissing certainly is not appropriate. But you've got old people up to the age of 100 and they're still kissing. Kissing is not just for young people. And that's from a West Cork listener. And the one thing I tell you that really saddens me about this whole Uh, story is the fact that we had the Spanish 
ladies football team having this historic World Cup win and unfortunately it's now been totally overshadowed uh, by what now has been called out as an alleged sexual assault on a woman by a man in power and at the end of the day that's what it is it was a man in power and there's condemnation of uh, the he's Spain's Football Federation president. The condemnation now is spreading across the world and people, I'm assuming, I mean, I watched it live and when I saw him kiss uh, Jennifer Hermoso, I mean, I wouldn't even have known the girl's name at the time, uh, and, he, and he kissed her right on the lips. I remember thinking it made me feel a little bit yuck when I watched it. I thought it was a little bit uh, inappropriate. And this, this the, the, the Spanish... Football's Federation president is Luis Rabales. Uh, he has refused to resign. He says the kiss was one he would have given to his daughter. Uh, but he's already now been suspended by the international body FIFA from his role. Now, they've only suspended him for uh, 90 days. But the players, the actual ladies football team, they're all demanding that he is uh, sacked. And everyone saw the footage. It wasn't that this was done and it was one person's word against another person's uh, word. It's been dubbed Kissgate. And if you watched it, you would have seen they were going up to get their, the World Cup. They were going up to get their medals. And of course, as they do, they walk along a line. They shake hands with people. They hug people people, whatever, you know, it's various different interactions with people. Uh, but when Jennifer Hermosa comes up in front of this Louis um, uh, Hubales, he literally grabs her face. I mean, you can see him holding her face and then he pulls her in towards him and kisses her on the lip and it was lips and it was right after Spain had won their historic victory in the World Cup over uh, England in Sweden or in Sydney, sorry. Um, Spanish authorities They've opened a probe now under the Federation's sexual misconduct protocol and they've called an extraordinary and urgent meeting. But in women and men's matches right across the world over the weekend, fans were waving banners and players were wearing T-shirts with messages all supporting uh, Jennifer. For example, in Texas, Houston, Dash players held a sign with Contigo Jenny, and Contigo meaning with, uh, so with Jenny, they had written in Spanish. They had uh, that uh, written um, on various signs uh, in Texas, in Houston, in Spain. Uh, players in Seville wore T-shirts with its over written on it, which they reckoned was a reference to Mr. Hubali's reign as president of the Spanish Football um, Association. And during a match between Atletico Madrid and AC Milan, players also wore wristbands and fans held banners in support of Jennifer Hermosa. Now, the the, the football president is adamant that the kiss was consensual and he's calling out Jennifer Hermoso as a liar. He said he will demonstrate each of the lies that were spread either by someone on behalf of the player or, if applicable, by the player herself. The Federation's investigation comes as 11 coaches from the women's team have already resigned uh, following last week's decision by the Spain's Cup squad to boycott matches until this Luis Herbiles, Her, Herbiles is sacked. And the English Lionesses, who they played against on the day, they have also said they're standing by Jennifer Hermoso, uh, describing his kiss as uh, abuse. So there is a kind of a divide on it. I've seen this guy's mother has locked herself into a church and she's gone on a uh, hunger strike. She thinks her it's all wrong 
what is happening to her son. But this this thing of him saying he's adamant that it was consensual, it all happens so quickly. I mean, consensually, he would have to have said to her, is it OK for me to now kiss you on the lips? And we would have seen some kind of an interaction. But if you watch it back, he just comes up in front of her, congratulates her and then grabs her and pulls her in and kisses her on the lips. Now, you know, they're Spanish. Maybe they do things differently in Spain. I don't know if many fathers would hold a daughter's head like that, like an adult daughter, and kiss them on the lips like that. He says he claims he would have given the exact same kiss to his daughter. Anyway, we've one West Cork listener who feels it's just been blown out of all proportion and that kissing is uh, natural. So your thoughts uh, welcomed. Who are you with? Are you with the young female footballer uh, who, felt, who felt a bit uneasy by the whole thing? She didn't think it was consensual. Are, are you with the president of the Football Federation who says it was consensual and it's been blown out of all proportion? 0818 103 your thoughts welcomed on that. Some of your other calls and comments coming in. Firstly, just an update for people in the North Cork area. Banny McQuirk Cross, deemed probably one of the most dangerous junctions in Ireland. The Bantier exit of the new roundabout is going to open next, this day week at four o'clock. OK, so another week and the Bantier exit will be open. And that's certainly good news for the people of Bantier. We were talking about littering and littering on our beaches today because the latest eyeball surveys out for the beaches. They just do the beach one once a year. And it certainly wasn't good news for us here in Cork. But Billy in Clannacilty has contacted us to say he was in Seville a few uh, days ago. Now, he said, bear in mind, the city of Seville has a population of three quarters of a million people. So it's a big big uh, city and they reckon that the centre of the city has a footfall of about one million uh, people. He said he couldn't get over it. There was a bin. He reckoned about every hundred metres apart. He said everywhere you went there was bins. So he started keeping a close eye on these bins. He said they were emptied at least twice a day and he said by the way he checked it out that's seven days a week. It's not just on Monday to Friday. They're out on the weekends as well. He said they have what he described as tiny little bin trucks who were going around twice a day emptying all of the bins and he said bear in mind wages in Spain are a lot less than they are here in Ireland but he said because of it the city is spotlessly clean. So he ended up getting chatting to locals about you know it's amazing the way you're keeping your city so clean and see me some of the locals started to explain that during Covid when obviously there wasn't a lot of footfall they realised that the streets were much cleaner. And I think probably every city in the world uh, noticed that. So they decided that we need to do something. We need to put something in place. It's because we have so many people coming into an area. That's why we're seeing an increase in rubbish. So they decided the only way to do it was to make facilities available for the said same people who are going to be in the middle of uh, Seville. So they came up with this plan of installing a huge amount of bins and making sure that the bins were going to be emptied because that's the key to the bins. People will put rubbish into bins but if people get to bins and they're overflowing guess what happen? happens? People just leave their rubbish near the overflowing bin and then it becomes a real eyesore. So they installed all of these bins and Bill said that you know those special bins there, there are three separate compartments in them so when you go up to the bin you're able to do your recycling you can put stuff in for landfill there'll be a, you know, a special space for plastic and cans or for your coffee cups or whatever it is and he said watching it all generations were getting involved from the very young to the very old because they had access to bins when they were out and about he said the place was absolutely spotless 
Ah, could we take on something like that? Would we be able to afford to take on something like that? But it would be terrific if we could do uh, do it, Bill, for sure. 0818103103. And then a number of, my apologies, I'm getting to these ones late. These were some of your comments in with regard to the story that I started the programme with, the story that annoyed me when I heard uh, earlier this morning that one of the boys who had been before the courts for that vicious assault on those young English football fans, those young tourists that were over that were attacked in Temple Bar and a 16-year-old who had been given bail last week strict bail conditions he had to stay out of Temple Bar had to stay out of the whole Dublin 2 area he wasn't allowed to be in the city centre and there was a curfew lo and behold wasn't he back within a few days he was spotted by the guards he was chased he ended up knocking over an old woman he ended up also uh, knocking over a guard inspector uh, and obviously must have nearly rugby tackled the man because that guy has ended up dislocating his shoulder and is going to be off work for at least uh, six weeks so this 16 year old was back before the courts yesterday bail now has been revoked and he's now gone into Oberstown at Children's Detention Campus until his next hearing on Friday and that then led to the discussion, what do we do with out of control uh, teenagers? Eddie and Mahan said uh, like with going into a pub, if oh this is when I said his father was in court with him, if you're under 17 you need to have an adult with you, it's the same when you go to court it is required by law that you have a parent with you even though Eddie said in some cases some of the parents are too lazy to get out of their pyjamas and some of them don't bother showing up. Well, in both cases, this and the other guy the week before who also had his bail revoked, the guy was crying and bawling inside in the court. He had his mother with him as well. So many of the parents, I suppose, and the parents will say they're trying their best, but it just isn't working. Solution for lawless, thank you for that, um, Eddie. Solution for lawless juvenile offenders, says a Clonic Hilty resident, army enrolment for two to three years and while they're there they get instructed in discipline and respect with manners on them all says this Clonic Hilty uh, resident somebody else when we were talking with regard to Gardaí and you know I tied it in with the fact that there's a report out from the Gardaí showing trust in our Gardaí and that people feel safe when it comes to local crime because of the Gardaí that are out and about someone says Patricia I am an old woman of 82 uh, living in Kinsale we are blessed with the Gardaí that we have in the town of Kinsale we feel safe and when called they go above and beyond the call of duty I'd like to publicly say a big thank you to all of the Gardaí who are based in Kinsale that's lovely no name on that thank you for that somebody said bring back the old fashioned stocks do you remember that you'd have them in the town square back in medieval times when somebody broke the law they were put into the stocks and then people threw rotten tomatoes and rotten vegetables at them. That's what someone is suggesting. Public humiliation for those young thugs is the only answer. If they got one day of people mocking them and throwing all kinds of rubbish at them, they wouldn't want it again. And also, says this texter, far cheaper than jail and would be much more effective. Hi Patricia, here's another one with the army. Says, I think 12 months in the army under a good sergeant. He would straighten out those two lads. Plus, after 12th of regular pay, they would find there is... Plus, after the 12 months of regular pay, they'd find out that there's a career for them. And it might actually put them straight back on the straight and narrow. And then somebody else had a run-in. Now, I don't know if this was somebody under the age of 18 or not, but Audrey said, my car was tipped by an e-scooter. When I got out to challenge him, he just cursed at me and went on his merry way. He had driven in on the inside of me as I'd stopped at the lights. They all should be insured. And I don't know if there's any damage 
done to Audrey's car. But if there is, Audrey is going to have to fund the cost of it because everybody on these scooters, as we know, are not insured. They don't have to by law had need. They don't need insurance. 0818 103 103. John Paul taking your calls. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council, where communities and businesses all across the county can get the support they need at corkcoco.ie. The Mallow Adult Learning Centre, they're beginning a tutor training course and it'll run in the parish centre at the end of September. They're looking for tutors. For further details, please contact the office at the Adult Learning Centre in Mallow 022 42642. Peninsula People. It's photographic memories of the old head of Kinsale by historian Jerome Lorden, Podrick Be- Begley and the late Eugene Davis will be officially launched this Thursday, 8 o'clock and will be in the speckled door the old head. All are welcome. There will be a series of talks and theatrical evenings in the cathedral, uh, the Cloyne Cathedral, starting this Thursday with Dr. Claude Tate, the maid and the ghost at half past seven. Tickets are €10 and they're available at the door or on Eventbrite. And this Friday evening, 1st of September, at half past seven, prayers will be recited at the Tree of Hope in Kilbrin Cemetery. Now, they'll be led by Father Michael Leader, the parish priest, and it's for all those who lost their lives through suicide and for those who suffer from mental illness, all are very welcome. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. For motor, home, business, farm, life and health insurance. CMIG.ie. Email Patricia now with your story or comment. Cork today at c103.ie. Cork today on C103. Okay, on the, the Spanish Kissgate, as it is being called. Some of your thoughts coming in on that. I'd love to know how that West Cork listener who said kissing was just natural would feel if that football president had grabbed and kissed him without asking. Uh, Ryan says, I'm just wondering if the sexes were reversed and it was the girl who grabs the man in that kiss situation, would there be the same controversy? Ryan is uh, wondering. John in Cove says, Patricia, it was a spur of the moment thing, it was more than likely over-excitement with no harm meant. Now, I agree with the West Cork listener, it's been blown out of all proportion. Fidelma in McCroom agrees also, out of blown out of all proportion. It was a moment of sheer jubilation and the women haven't done themselves any favours by complaining. Orla in Mitchellstown says in some of these countries, particularly on the continent, the likes of Spain, France and Italy, kissing, particularly kissing on the lips when greeting people is very normal. I do feel it was a spur of the moment thing and Sharon in Middleton says I watched the World Cup and I watched the Spanish Football Federation president kiss that girl. It's the bigger picture here. If the Spanish men won the World Cup, would the manager have kissed a male player on the lips? I think not. Sharon in Middleton says I'm telling you, my daughter plays sport and if a manager picked my daughter and kissed her on the lips, I would be raging. It's awful the World Cup has been overshadowed by this. Yeah, and that's the one point that really, really saddens me in all of this in that we have this historic win by the uh, by the players, you know, who've worked extremely hard. It was their first time ever winning it and it has been totally overshadowed by at the end of the day um, what, you know, the, the Spanish authorities themselves are looking into it being an alleged sexual assault 
of a woman by a man in power. And we know if you look at at football, it is a very male dominated sport. And it was great that, you know, women's football was absolutely soaring after the World Cup. And that's the one thing that doesn't sit well with me. 0818103103 keeps your thoughts coming. Mary says, Patricia, could you find out when the band to road at Banny McQuirk is uh, open? Now, I don't know if you've if you sent that message in just before I announced it, Mary, but it's this day week. The uh, Banty Rexit uh, is opening on Bally McCork across four o'clock on next. Tuesday, so you've another week to go. Uh, Pauline Dungarvan uh, says we have um, oh, just on the on the Spanish story. What about his mother is on hunger strike in a church? Yeah, she's locked herself into a church. Uh, Paula says we've numerous bins. This is um, when we were talking about litter at the beach. Numerous bins in Clonay at the moment, but people still manage to miss the bins. And don't start me on the takeaway fly tipping outside my house on the weekend. Yeah, that becomes a real, real annoyance for a lot of uh, people. On the e-scooter scratching one of our listeners' cars, somebody says, Patricia, if we all stop paying for car insurance until people who are driving electric scooters until they start paying insurance, that might make a move on it. Well, I know there's to be new legislation around the e-scooters, but as far as I know, they're not going to go with uh, insurance. 0818 103 103. Price of fuel. This is coming in by email from Robert to Cork today at c103.ie. Hi, I'm getting in touch with regards to fuel prices, which we discussed yesterday with Blake Boland from the AA, the price of both diesel and petrol is rising. And don't forget from this Friday, it goes up again because the excise duty, the reinstatement of the excise duty, there's more of that coming on board. So fill up by Thursday, folks. Anyway, Robert is emailing because Robert said, I started using HVO. What's HVO? I hear you cry. It's hydro generated vegetable oil which is renewable and about and he started using it about three weeks ago and I said first and foremost why is it now the same price and actually can be higher now than diesel in some of the garages that sell it when none of the fossil fuel producing countries are supplying it it also has a huge environmental benefit it's, it's got 90% less emissions than diesel it can even be used for your home heating oil so my question is why is it not cheaper than diesel and of all trucks and cars in the country with the diesel ones started switching over to this type of fuel would that not help reduce our overall emissions that our government is saying we need to meet it would also make it cheaper especially for people living in rural areas who haven't a hope of ever using an electric vehicle because there won't be enough charge points available the likes of myself and others we need our cars to get to and from work or is this government just pushing the EV agenda and they really don't care about us, the rural dwellers. I wanted to do my bit for the environment. That's why I've switched over to this hydro-generated vegetable oil. But as of the other day, it was 176 a litre. It was actually higher than diesel. Yeah, I. if anyone can explain why the... Because I've, I've read a lot about that HVO 
uh, and how good it is and you know it's fantastic that it's you know it's vegetable oil and the emissions and how great it is for for reducing our carbon uh, emissions I can't I'm scratching my head as well because whenever we look into why petrol and diesel is so expensive we're told it's because of the oil producing countries they set the price we're told diesel is expensive because of the way it has to be produced I can't understand I, I really don't maybe somebody in the know uh, is able to understand why what is going on uh, there Oh eight one eight one zero three one zero three, and then another listener is saying, says Patricia did you see that the former teacher Enoch Burke has returned to his former school that poor man says this listener I'm now starting to feel sorry for him yeah uh, he's back actually on the papers today the school opened yesterday for the first day of term and lo and behold uh, Enoch Burke uh, turned up even though he has been dismissed and he's continuing his protest about being dismissed from the uh, school now he wasn't outside the school yesterday according to some of the papers he was uh, he took up a position inside in the corridor so I don't know whether they allowed him in or not but it was a wet day yesterday maybe somebody took uh, pity on him but it was back in July that there was an order uh, restraining him from going anywhere near the school or anywhere near the premises. So he was back inside, according to all of the reports uh, today. Now, his family did issue a statement and they say, uh, we will not endorse an ideology where he, as a Christian, disagrees with and which we have serious reper- will have serious repercussions for younger people. It added, he has a right to his religious beliefs and believes it's wrong that he's been denied access to his place of uh, work. Of course, he's been in dispute. The, hosp- the school is Wilson's Hospital School. It's the Church of Ireland school in uh, County West uh, Meath. And it all goes back to, a, well, a row that he ended up having with what now the former uh, principal. It was May of last year. All of the teachers were asked to call a transgender child by a new name and by the preferred pronouns. Enoch Burke, who's an an evangelical Christian, objected. But then he went on to publicly challenge the principal, both at a chapel service and also at an after. There was some school dinner going on to celebrate an anniversary at the school. It was those events then that prompted the principal to compile a report for the Board of Management. The Board of Management then ultimately decided to put Enoch Burke on paid administrative leave last August. But then, of course, when he was suspended, he continued to show up for work uh, every day. Then the school had to go to court. They secured a high court order restraining him from turning up at the school. He didn't comply with the court order. He ended up getting arrested. He ended up going into jail. He did 108 days in Mount Joy. He was finally released just before Christmas, even though he didn't purge his contempt. He straight away resumed the daily visits to the school. And even after being arrested for trespass, he still continued to turn up. The High Court then issued him with a daily €700 fine for every day that he remained in contempt of court. That hasn't uh, stopped him. Gardy then uh, prepared a file again for trespass. That matter went to the DPP, but it seems there isn't going to be a prosecution. But it's the daily fines for the contempt matter. They're still accumulating every day. I think up to yesterday, they were up to €148,400. That's on top of €15,000 in damages that the High Court says he must pay for trespass. And then there's another six-figure sum for the legal bill for the school, their costs for the injunction uh, proceedings. 
And it continues. He is, uh, and I know Enoch Burke put in a counterclaim against the school, but that's already been dismissed. Where this ends, I don't know. But whether you agree with him or not, you certainly have to say that this man has the courage of his convictions and how long he's going to continue uh, to uh, protest and will the fines ever be recovered? Only time will tell. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Joe Heffernan uh, joining us. Good afternoon to you, Joe. Good afternoon. Uh, And I have to say, I actually thought about you on Friday when the news was coming through from uh, my hometown of uh, Clamel of that uh, tragic accident because I was hearing from some of, particularly some of the first responders and and some I would have known um, uh, uh, myself and and Father Billy, um, the the priest who who got called as well. And I was thinking, and then I saw a member of Ingarda Shikona talk about what the first responders uh, had to face. And and they really will need help going forward. Without a doubt. Without a doubt. I mean, I work in the area of CISM, Critical Incident Stress Management, and we do diffuse. I, I teach courses in it. We do diffusings and critical incident stress debriefing, and um, these have been found to be uh, helpful. But it isn't just a case of um, uh, walk away and, and it's gone. It's far from it. And even so, for, and you know, and uh, and we've been all week since it broke last Friday offering condolences to the families. It's just dreadful uh, what has happened. But even for the uh, family members, because God love them, they all made it to the scene of the crash. They were all there when the last rites were being performed. It, I mean, besides, they've lost their beautiful children. It, it, the, the shock for them as well, Joe. Yeah, you can't unsee those sites. Uh, yeah. They stay with you. They stay with you. And um, I'd like to express my own condolences to, um, you know, the uh, the parents and families and friends, school colleagues, staff in the schools uh, of Grace and Luke McSweeney, Nicole Murphy and Zoe Coffey um, uh, in this awful, awful tragedy. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what? So what is your advice uh, to people? How, well, how do the, you deal with it? I'd have a few suggestions which might help those who might well be traumatised and uh, by the, the this awful tragedy. And uh, that includes very much the paramedics and Gardaí who attended and Father Billy Meehan who attended. And, of course, um, family members and those uh, who, who attended uh, on the, at the time. So... Um, a, a few a few suggestions that might prove you know, just maybe a, a little bit helpful would be to take periods of appropriate physical exercise, alternating with periods of rest and relaxation, uh, to structure your time where possible, to kind of get back a bit in control of your day, um, and remember that your normal and having normal reactions to a very abnormal event. Um, I remember talking to a man once, and he said, oh, thank God I'm not going crazy. So, And he, of course, he wasn't, but he was, um, uh, you know, experiencing the aftermath of, um, of a trauma, a different type of trauma, but a trauma, because they vary. He, he, 
it doesn't always have to be as huge and awful as this one. It can be a purse snatched uh, in the city. It can be um, uh, a break into a home. Uh, you know, mm. it, it, it varies, but it's a trauma to the, the, um, the victim of uh, uh, such a, an event. And one of the biggest things would be to talk to people. Talk is the most healing medicine. Um, and if a person feels that they need to see a therapist, well then, if they need to, they should. Um, it was great that the children um, were being looked after in the schools, that there was um, assistance um, uh, available, and that they came in and uh, obviously talked to each other and that would help with healing. Yeah, and I um, saw at the at the vigil that was held on Sunday night, uh, the priest, one of the priests at that, was saying to the young people, "Talk to each other," you know. Yes. And he thought it was, and you could see they were with each other and listen to each other and be supportive of each other. Absolutely, one hundred and ten percent. Absolutely, Patricia. Um. So you know, uh, talk to people. Do care friends. Uh, fellow pupils in the schools, um, past pupils, they do care. Of course they care. Um, so spend time with them if you can. Um, and the family to, you know, uh, converse, um, talk about things. Um, don't bottle everything up in 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 your own um, self. Um, you know, share share um, uh, give yourself permission to feel really awful to feel bad yeah that, that you know that's going to happen and share those feelings then with, with others uh, where appropriate and um, uh, with, with a person that you would trust to hear how you are um, feeling um, you know uh, yeah and yeah. then for, for people to, you know, for anyone who's been through something like this, uh, people watching on sometimes, you know, don't know how do we help, but, you know, how, how do we offer to support to somebody who's been through a, a, something traumatic? And we'll come to that in a second, but just to say as well to the people who are um, traumatised by this, um, keep a journal, write your way through if there are sleepless nights. Um, do things that feel good to you. Don't feel a bit guilty about a little bit of distraction. Um, Realise that those around you are also under stress. Um, You know, uh, get as much rest as you can. Um, And don't try to fight recurring thoughts, dreams or flashbacks. They're normal and they will decrease over time. And very importantly, eat well-balanced and regular meals, even if you don't feel like it. Yeah, that can be hard. That, yeah. that can be yeah. hard, hard for people. And that's yeah. where people outside can be helpful. We're, yeah. we're, we're great whenever there's a funeral in an area to start supplying the house with loads of food. But it works. It does. It does indeed. And I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's one of the things that our nation can be very proud of, that um, uh, in, in a time of bereavement that, um, you know, we do... We do... Uh, respond uh, very, very, very well. But for family members then and friends, you know, 
to listen carefully. If a person wants to talk about it, let them talk. And, you know, be obviously engaged with what they're saying. Um, you know, um, with the feedback, maybe maybe just a nod to show, yeah, yeah, I'm hearing you. Um, that would be very important. Um, spend time with the person. Um, now, that has a kind of a double edge to it. So spend time with the traumatized person, but also respect uh, privacy. The person might like to go to their room or whatever and maybe just be alone. They might like to go for a walk on their own, um, whatever, but to respect that too. But, um, you know, to, uh, to be able to gauge well when to, uh, when to connect with the person and, and when, when not to, to give them, yeah. Yeah, because, yeah. you know, even with any, any, you can have a normal bereavement, but when bereavements occur, uh, you will, you know, sometimes see that families will say house is private. And it's so important that people respect that because not everybody wants to do their grieving publicly. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and when, um, when um, a request like that is made, as you say, respect it. Um, the, the the people who have uh, made that request um, have made it because that's what they want. And uh, therefore, um, to to disrespect that and to just arrive on maybe uninvited and unasked would not be the way to go, even though that the person who does that would mean well. Mm. Um, yeah. So yeah. Yeah, th- that's part of the listening, too, that like we need to listen to what the people want uh, when they express what they want. Yeah, sometimes then, they might just be sitting there silently with them uh, and other times they just might want to be on their own. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. And um, it's very natural and normal after a trauma to be um, a little bit on edge so that if a person is a bit angry or a little bit sharp or, you know, whatever, um, uh, don't take that personally. That's someone... You know, naturally, there is anger that this whole thing happened um, and that can come out sideways. Yeah, they're in a uh, lot of pain. We need to respect that. That person's in a lot of pain and that might be their way of of trying to vent vent some Uh, of that pain. Absolutely. All right, but it's important that people get the help that they need. And as you say, all of the schools have been fantastic about putting in place uh, the help and the necessary experts. Okay, listen, Joe, as always, thank you for that. Have a lovely week. And we'll talk talk next Tuesday. Bye-bye. And I hope that peace will settle in your hometown. Thank you. And that, you know, there's a sad sad few days. I'm sure there are people that you know. Indeed, indeed, unfortunately, and a sad few days of funerals uh, uh, to get through yet. Okay, listen, Joe, thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Um, Bye bye, that's Joe Heffernan, who runs a counselling practice. His number is 086-834-8145-834-8145. On young people off the rails and what's been happening in Dublin with some of the teenagers and violent assaults, particularly on tourists. Uh, A listener does want their name read out, which is fine, says Patricia, a training course in the army are for some of these young people to help in a hospital. Let them see sickness. Let some of them learn a trade. I reared five of them single-handed with very little money, but I kept them busy. If it was scouts, sports, swimming, keep children busy all of the time. They have a lot of energy. Also, talk to them regularly about life. It is so uh, important. Also, this uh, mother says it's very important to check 
who your young people are hanging out with. Please don't call out my name. That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick Richards is with you for the afternoon and we will talk to you tomorrow morning at 10 onto the line. Patricia Messenger, very good afternoon. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie.